Hello and welcome to another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a key strategy to decarbonize and revitalize our economy. Each month, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Director of Electrification Policy with Energy Innovation. Today's episode, Now We're Cooking With Electricity. If you cook food for yourself or your family, or if you happen to be a professional chef, you likely have a preference for the type of stove you use, gas versus electric. The competition between the two has been around since the 1930s, when there was a widespread transition from wood-fueled stoves, and both gas and electric industries were vying for market share. Interestingly, the colloquial phrase, now we're cooking with gas, actually emerged as a slogan for a campaign led by the natural gas industry. They strategically integrated the phrase into pop culture shows and movies as a way to subtly convince people to choose gas. Today, it's still used to convey that something is functioning very effectively or making progress. Gas stoves are often seen as a status symbol, a high-value item in a housing market, and they continue to be featured prominently in pop culture outlets to this day, thanks to the ongoing marketing and PR efforts led by the gas industry and gas utilities. Yet when it comes to climate stability, air quality, and our health, gas stoves have serious impacts. While electric cooking offers a viable alternative and newer induction technologies are gaining popularity, the age-old battle between gas and electric cooking is ever-present. Today, I'm speaking with a pediatrician, a professional chef, and a real estate agent to explore the impacts of cooking with gas, the future of electric cooking, and the market changes needed to adopt healthier cooking options. First, we have Dr. Lisa Patel. She's a pediatrician and an advocate for children's health priorities. Among her many accomplishments, she was co-chair for the American Academy of Pediatrics Advocacy Committee, California chapter, the co-founder of the Climate and Health Task Force, and director for the Pediatric Residence Community Pediatrics and Child Advocacy Rotation. Today, she's a co-director for Stanford's Climate Health and Equity Task Force at the Sean N. Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research. She holds degrees from Stanford, Yale, and John Hopkins University. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. And next, we have Chef Rochelle Boucher, who's a national cooking appliance trainer, a private chef, an influencer, and event expert with over 20 years of experience. She's been a private chef for celebrities and athletes, a corporate chef, and a home appliance expert and consultant with Monarch Home, Sub-Zero and Wolf, and Miel USA. Today, Rochelle is channeling her passion for electric cooking appliances and home electrification through her new venture, Kitchens to Life which is focused on bringing electric kitchens to the forefront and facilitating the adoption of kitchen electrification for performance, people, and planet. Rochelle, welcome to the show. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's such a great panel. I'm excited to learn from everyone. Glad to have you here. And last but not least, I'm joined by Annie Trujillo, a real estate agent with Keller Williams Real Estate based in Salt Lake City and a longtime friend of mine. In 2020, she was the third individual agent in her office and made the top 500 realtors in the Utah list. Prior to becoming a real estate agent, Annie had an illustrious 10-year career working as a mountain guide, leading expeditions in remote areas from Greenland to Alaska and California. 
For Annie, guiding people through the process of buying and selling a home isn't too dissimilar from guiding people through the wilderness and safely to a mountain summit. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And for full disclosure, Annie did recently help me with a real estate transaction, and I can relate to the feeling of needing a seasoned guide to get through the process. So, so thanks for that. Okay, so let's dive in. Um, I'm going to start f- with you, Lisa. You have an extensive background in pediatrics and pediatric research, and you have a focus on the connection between air pollution and children's health. Tell us a little bit more about the work and a s- specifically what drives your passion for public health. I I really first got involved in this work. I worked in India on air quality projects. I got my start as an environmental scientist before I became a physician. And um, I remember being taken to the ward for children suffering from asthma in India. And it wasn't a ward like you see in the U.S. It was a gymnasium that they had converted for the purposes of housing all of these children because there were so many children suffering from asthma and I thought, this is crazy. And, and it was because air pollution was so terrible, outside air pollution was so terrible. Um, but places like India also have lots of trouble with indoor air quality. And so I started to learn more. And I realized what, what really drives me is that this is entirely preventable. There is no reason why we should be exposing children to these kinds of toxic pollution. Um, and, and that's what really drives me in the work is that no child should be in a gymnasium suffering from an entirely preventable health outcome when we have the means to prevent it. Absolutely. Um, And we're hearing more and more about the adverse impacts of gas stoves, especially poorly ventilated ones, uh, both on our health as well as children, as you noted. And a recent NPR story actually highlighted this and more and more and more information is really making its way into the mainstream. But for a lot of people, this is still really off the radar. Can you share with us some top takeaways from the research you've done or, or that you're aware of and help us better understand these connections? Sure. So, um, you know, when we talk about air pollution, both outdoor and indoor, um, what gas stoves are really looking at is how gas stoves cause indoor air pollution uh, that we know is terrible for our health and particularly terrible for certain segments of the population. So young children in particular, the elderly and those with chronic medical conditions. Um, There's been some modeling work to understand how many Californians are being exposed to the pollution that's generated from using things like gas powered um, furnaces and stoves and about 1.7 million Californians are routinely exposed to higher levels of the pollutants that come from these gas-powered stoves. Now, uh, what's that mean in terms of health? As a pediatrician, um, you know, so much of what I see is asthma. And um, what we we know from the data and from the literature is that there's an increased risk um, for children to develop asthma or develop asthma-like symptoms. So some of the data suggests that there's a 42% increased risk of experiencing asthma symptoms, 24% increased risk of ever being diagnosed with asthma, and a 32% increased risk of current and lifetime asthma for children living in homes with gas cooking, which is, as a pediatrician, really concerning. Yeah, absolutely. We, we strongly tell our kids, you know, don't smoke and and we want them to eat healthy and we want them to have uh, long lives. And yet the very thing that we have in our homes uh, is is harming them. And that's that's a pretty stark takeaway. From your perspective as a medical professional, how do you think these research findings can be applied in the public policy context? It's a great question. And honestly, it's a, it's a hard one. So things like asthma are multifactorial. Um, and so when I'm talking to my families about risk factors, you know, I do talk about the role of gas um, stoves. We also do need to keep in mind, though, that 
it's not easy um, or always affordable for families to be able to make that conversion. So for my families that suffer from asthma, I've started building in this counseling to talk about gas stoves and talk about the links between um, having a gas-powered stove in your home and asthma exacerbation. I try to stay away from causality because I don't want a parent to experience any more guilt than I think all of us feel whenever our kids are suffering from any medical condition. But but I talk about um, talk about the role of, of having a natural gas home in terms of an asthma exacerbation, and we talk about some other potential alternatives, or we talk about ventilation, for example, if switching out of that gas-powered stove is not a financial possibility for a lot of the families that I care for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's one thing to to know about the problem, and then the uh, the second thing is, can you fix it, and can you do it um, within your means? Uh, are you seeing in the policy conversations that we're having right now with uh, the emphasis on public health and climate and uh, social equity and, and environmental justice a greater awareness among uh, the policymakers out there about these connections? And are you hopeful that this is, you know, ripe for change in the near term? Um, I, I think a part of this is the buy, you know, my, myself, I'm a health professional, so every conversation I walk into, I bring a health lens. But what I do hear often um, from those who don't always bring a health-centered or an equity-centered uh, viewpoint to their work is, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that information um, that a gas-powered stove also affects health. Now, where I think um, the advocacy on this has been really successful, and I hope I see more marriages like this, is it was those that were really interested in green energy that reached out to health professionals to ask us to lend our voice to the campaign to make this is a dual argument and it should be presented as such to the public. Um, this is both a benefit in terms of climate change and it is absolutely a benefit in terms of health. And that is true of so much, so many of the inter interventions that we talk about. Um, so I think, um, you know, as we look across some of the policy victories in the in California, We've seen a number of local ordinances um, to mandate all electric codes in new buildings. And where I think the message has really resonated is bringing in this health argument and the health voice to say that this is about protecting kids' health. This is really important, an important policy change and an important investment to make. Absolutely. Very much agree with that. Um, Rochelle, I'm going to sh uh, shift to you. You're a chef. Uh, you love induction stoves and cooking with electricity. Tell us what brought you to this point in your career and what you're focused on these days. Yeah, happily. And I do say that I'm like, what brought me to this point? Um, I have been a private chef, like we mentioned, and, you know, so I, I'm very connected to working in lots of kind of very gorgeous homes, but I also did 10 years plus of work um, for homeless programs. So I would be in a really gorgeous, fancy home uh, one day, one minute and, and uh, you know, homeless facility the next. And so I have a lot of understanding of sort of a broad range of uh, cooking with and for and and around people of all different demographics and different types. Um, and then uh, as a corporate chef in the luxury appliance world, it's my job literally to learn every technology. So when I was the private chef for, or when I was the corporate chef for Sub-Zero Wolf, um, I mostly used you know gas and, and dual fuel was sort of the big thing. When I became the chef over at uh, Mila here in San Francisco, they are certainly a European brand and they had more focus on induction. And so we had live uh, dual fuel range induction next to each other and all four of our staff, different ages, different backgrounds, every one of us self-selected over time 
cooking and cooking and cooking to become induction, what I call induction super fans. So it just happened so naturally. It was before I had the environmental agenda that I have now um, that, you know, and so I have 19,500 BTUs, a beautiful, you know, gas flame throwing range top on one side and this innocent looking, you know, uh, induction top on the other side. And I just never ended up cooking on the other one. And, and that was all of us. So whether we were cooking for our own lunch or cooking for a crowd or whatever, it just self-selected. And then once you get over that hump, and I, of course, have taught about induction for many, many years. So it's just now like, yeah, but the moment is here. Um, the tipping point is absolutely here. But just um, once you get over the mistrust and the weirdness and the switch and the change and all of those understandable reactions to something that's so different, you just cannot go back. So when I'm cooking at these bazillion, you know, bazillion dollar homes, if they, my clients, if they don't have uh, induction, I bring my own hob because I'm not about to go back in time and cook with less power and less control. Won't do it. So purely from a culinary standpoint, it's such a win. But I, I understand um, probably why I do a lot of this work is I really get it. I understand the emotional connection, the equity piece, uh, Lisa, that you mentioned, um, all of the pieces around it, the design. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges to it. So I have a lot of empathy, understanding, and, um, you know, I can really relate to people trying to figure it out. Yeah, your your career is, is fascinating. I bet you've seen uh, a lot of fancy schmancy houses, but also really cool to to continue to um, just work with a lot of different folks across the country. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and Lisa, you mentioned this, a lot of cities and a handful of places across the country are in the middle of debates emerging that are, are focused on, you know, do we require all electric buildings? Do we outright ban gas, including for cooking? Um, and as part of the, these debates, we've actually seen the restaurant industry um, on the side of the gas industry kind of fighting these efforts. What are your reactions to this as a professional chef, as somebody who's kind of in the field and, and knows the dynamics playing out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I call myself the electric kitchen super fan in the residential side. I have an incredible partner who you all must meet and check out. His name is Chef Chris Garlaza. He's with Forward Dining Solutions in Pennsylvania, and he works on the same, like he's like the me in the, in the uh, commercial world. So, you know, we've learned a lot. Of course, I worked in restaurants as well. So we've learned a lot together, um, but it's really, the problem is with any of this change, whether it's restaurants or homes, is sort of when you come in with bands and you can't and we're taking, you know, or people get the concept that we're going around ripping out gas stoves, it can be very confrontational. So when, if, you know, the there's a lot of oil, gas money that's supporting the National Restaurant Association and pushing this narrative. But when we work with chefs and we show them how cool and comfortable, how super powered the kitchens are, um, how you can breathe easier, how you can absolutely walk cook, and all of the, the sort of myths that they've heard. But at the same time, you know, learning to make the real, very real adjustment. Like it, it's not, you know, all, you know, perfect. There's, there's an adjustment learning curve. But if you really meet people where they are, chefs or, or homeowners, 
um, you get a way better outcome. So there's a lot of money and lobbying to be fought and it's really tricky. Um, but uh, like I said, Chef Chris makes a big case for that, um, particularly when you know, restaurants are now losing workers because of terrible conditions, because of the heat, because of the blow pay. So one of the major things they need to do is really step up their game in, ter in terms of safety and health and working conditions. And that's no joke. Yeah, we are seeing that play out absolutely uh, nearly everywhere right now. Yes. Um, what advice or guidance would you give to those who are a bit more skeptical of cooking with, with electricity? You know, where do, where do they start? Where, where can they begin to uh, experiment with electric cooking um, or induction cooking? And what do we, how do we give them the resources they need to, to explore that? Well, Lisa, one of the things you talked about actually previous to, to being on the call was just um, creating a little bit of um, excitement within your own industry. So one of the things that I'm doing in my industry with the different appliance brands is like, ooh, Mila's doing something really cool and uh, or, or Thermidor. So the first thing for me is just getting my own industry on board. It, it's amazing. A year ago, it was a lot harder. Now there's this momentum that's happening. And I, you know, it's incredible. So now it's sort of creating that little sense of competition so that they can step up their game in terms of promotion and product mix and live demos. Um, it's really tricky. I just did a really fun um, webinar where we talked about how do you, you know, electrify without doing any remodeling? How do you do it? How do you do it with a little bit of remodeling and how do you build new and um, and trying to cover everything in between? So I think it really starts with people trying to, you know, learn on a hob, a, a plug in unit, um, preferably not a really junky one. You want something that's going to be a little better. But unfortunately, there's no nothing quite like learning on an actual cooktop. It's a real difference in, in that. And that's really tricky. There's huge price points, all these different interfaces. So my industry has a lot of work to do to make it um, easier for people to try, buy, and and enjoy their their new induction or an all-electric kitchen. One of the things is it's not just the battle of cooktops. Everything we have in our kitchen is electric, except for maybe one thing. So it's also using the things you have better um, to, to have a real incredible electric kitchen. Yeah, for sure. I, I mentioned this on the, on previous episodes of this podcast, but I was, um, plant, I do have a gas stove in my home. It does not have a vent. It is definitely a public health hazard. <laughs> I would notice I would get headaches every time I would cook and I was like, what is going on? And then I was like, oh, I'm breathing noxious fumes and this is really bad for me. I bought a two burner, uh, induction cooktop just for the the countertop I was saving for a full-blown stove and then my refrigerator went out. So had to switch gears on that appliance purchase. But <laughs> um, but the two burner is is great and it covers, you know, the vast majority of the meals we're cooking in, in our house and we don't have to open the window when we cook and we don't have to worry about the health impacts. And as you say, the performance is super impressive. Um, so that's one place to start for those who are curious. Um so Annie, you uh, you buy and sell homes for a living, <laughs> as we mentioned. 
Now, from your experience, how are gas stoves perceived in the real estate community? And do you come across many induction stoves in your line of work? Yeah, so it's um, it comes up all the time. I um, I always make this joke that everybody who's buying a home comes with bright eyes and all these interesting ideas, but really most people want the same thing. They want an open layout and really nice lighting and a gas range <laughs> and a two-car garage. Um, and so the gas range comes up all the time, and uh, and I'm now, having learned from you, I'm constantly being like, well, actually, a lot of the studies coming out are such that you really shouldn't have a gas range, but it's really hard to convince people otherwise, for sure. I just will be sending this podcast to all of my clients uh, so they can learn from you, lovely ladies. Well, that's great. And I think, you know, it's been it's been pointed out throughout the conversation that we're still really early stage in the awareness and the understanding, the education. Um, so to the, to the extent people aren't glomming on to, to induction ranges or electric alternatives, I think that's uh, normal. That's kind of where we are right now. Do you come across many induction stoves though? Do you see them in homes or do you see them on the MLS? Um, I would say zero generally. Um, I, I have never actually, well, that's not true. I've seen one before. And then today before coming to this episode, I looked on the MLS and I looked in kind of a small range where I typically work and there were 279 active listings in that range. Um, and then I filtered to see what types of ranges you could even mm-hmm. search for within the criteria on the MLS. And gas was the only type of range that you could search for. There wasn't an option for induction, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then outside of that, you can also search in the remarks, the you know write-up that the agent makes. So I typed in induction. So out of the 279 active listings in this pretty small area in all price ranges, there was one where the agent had brought up induction. And typically, those induction ranges are in houses that are otherwise like the very eco homes with solar and extra insulation and all the things that people are, you know, interested in. There's really only a handful of homes probably that meet that kind of criteria. And if they do, then they probably have an induction range in them. But I I really do not see them very often. And I get a lot of pushback for even if they were there or if I suggest they ought to be there. <laughs> I imagine. Well, you're a pioneer then. Um, in your experience, and I think we, I think you kind of alluded to this, but to drill down more, um, does the MLS and the appraiser community generally consider gas stoves to be the value add when evaluating the value of a home, as in deciding how much it's worth? And if yes, and I think I know the answer, how does this really limit the overall effort uh, on your part and others to guide buying and selling decisions? Yeah, in general, I would say with appraisers, it's probably not a huge part of their criteria for determining the value of a home. Now, if you've got, you know, the wolf range with six burners or God knows what they come in, eight burners or something, uh, they might consider that because it probably also just generally comes with a really nice updated kitchen. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's maybe not all the fault of the stove, Um, but buyers absolutely 100%. If it's got a gas range, they're like, oh, thank God this one has a gas range. And if it doesn't, they go, how hard would it be to add a gas range to this? And so I'm constantly like looking in utility closets and seeing where we could run a gas line, um, et cetera. Yeah. Um, 
that's not surprising. <laughs> As someone who's both bought and sold a home, you know, that's it's it's very commonplace. Um, switching gears just a little bit, we've been focusing on stoves, but homes often have other gas appliances, uh, whether it's their heating unit, their dryer, their water heater. From your perspective as a real estate agent, um, how can we start to really shift the dialogue, the dialogue in the industry away from a continued reliance on fossil gas and towards these healthier electric and climate and air-friendly options? I mean, education is going to be key. Uh, as we're sitting here, I'm thinking about all the ways that I could become a part of that change that happens in the real estate industry. And so having just more education, making pamphlets to give to clients, having classes, um, you know, introducing this topic to the industry. I think that even like I'm thinking about my home inspectors, they push that narrative too. Like if we see an electric hot water heater, they go, oh man, those things will really run up your electric bill. You'll want to switch over over to gas whenever you can. And so there is this just general narrative that electricity is expensive and gas is cheap. And so, um, I mean, you're having to educate like every person in every part of the entire process and an entire industry. And then also educating clients. Um, one of the main feedback. I get about, sorry, going back to the stoves is, oh, then we'd have to buy a whole new set of pots, right? And I go, well, not necessarily. Also, I'll give you pots for a closing gift. It'll be great. <laughs> so just education all around. Yeah, that's a very pers pers pervasive myth is that you have to change out all your cookware. And, you know, if, if a magnet sticks to the bottom of a pot, it's induction friendly. And that's almost everything, cast iron, inexpensive pots, fancy pots, the really the only thing it doesn't work with is pure copper, which very few people have. And that old calphalon, that's sort of that anodized aluminum, as well as pure aluminum, like the restaurant kind of junky cookware. So yeah, that myth makes me crazy. But I understand I, I you know, it's been passed around. So yeah, give them a pot. <laughs> a pot and a pamphlet <laughs> and, and a magnet <laughs> and a magnet I love the magnet test I'll yeah. take that it sounds to me like we need like Budma Lakshmi or Chrissy Teigen or somebody like to just change the whole cultural narrative of, about these stoves and make it cool uh, to be cooking with induction stoves because it, it sounds like that that sort of um, cultural ethos isn't quite there yet absolutely and we know that the natural gas industry has been um actually funding influencer campaigns on Instagram. And in, I mean, as I mentioned in the intro remarks, their campaign has been in effect uh, full force since the 1930s. So we're going against, you know, nearly a hundred years worth of PR marketing and, and lots of dollars uh, going in this direction. So if it feels hard, that's, that's a normal uh, part of this phase of the process. Um, also just one quick point to, to jump back to Annie, um, you know, the perception that electricity is more expensive than gas, I think that's an interesting one, particularly here in Utah, where we actually have relatively low electricity prices. I think our gas is, is um, on a BTU basis, more expensive here. Um, but nationally, and I saw this headline just today, um, we are bracing for some of the most expensive gas prices we've seen in over a decade, uh, with this winter being kind of the the pinch point for a lot of folks, and it's it's going to put pressures on our economy. It's going to put pressures on individual households, 
and, um, you know, put people in, in really dire straits situations potentially. So to the extent folks out there listening are anticipating a switch, this might be the best possible year or set of years coming up to do so because our gas prices are um, spiking and, and expected to be, um, like I said, higher than they've ever been in 13 years. So just a side note to add to the pamphlet. <laughs> um, another thing that I've noticed in a lot of houses like your house, um, Sarah's house that she lives in is a very old house and many of them are around here and so many of them don't have... Um, hoods for um ventilation ventilation thank mm -hmm. you uh and if they do sometimes they're not ventilated out through the roof they're ventilated like into a cabinet or something or into the attic and maybe even more so uh than gas ranges or electric ranges we notice just a dearth of ventilation in the kitchen in general so you're having people want these gas ranges in their kitchens and then also having no way to ventilate them anyway um, and so it's just in general, a big problem. Yeah. We have those conversations hand in hand where we talk about, you know, the, the hopeful thing is on like, um, that's happening at least here in the Bay area, it's starting to happen really quickly. Um, a big change in like the last year is Annie, I understand we, I have a lot of, um, you know, people that are selling homes or building homes and they're like, I don't want to sell another thing. I'm already selling a home. I don't want to sell everybody on, you know, all of this other technology or the difference between induction stoves. And that's, I understand. One very exciting, hopeful thing is that here in the Bay, in San Francisco, every second to every third client that comes in and some days on Saturdays, every one of my clients that I work with on Saturdays to either replace or buy, replace appliances or buy new, you know, buy new, or buy all, or build, build new, I cannot tell you like they're induction ready. So they're either like, mm, I think I got to go induction where they're a little bit like begrudging or they're kind of ready or they're, hmm, I think I got to go induction. Like they're what I call induction curious, or they're like, I think I got to go induction. And often like there's one one client, like the husband is into it and the wife isn't. And so, you know, that it's amazing. And that's coming from Lisa, what you talked about, those health awarenesses, the things that you talk about and Brady Seals is talking about and, um, you know, and air quality and, and all of these things are really ventilation concerns. So all of these things are weaving that narrative. Um, so it's really fun when they're sort of you know, a, a couple that's sort of on the fence, but then the only, the, the benefit that I have is not only my background, but we have live product. So if I just show them equally, like, okay, here's gas. You already know that we don't have any live gas here. Everyone knows how that works. I literally just show them a couple of things. We talk about their cooking traditions and I'm telling you it can happen in a, in minutes where people are like, Oh my God. So it totally can happen, but there has to be quite a few things aligning, but the momentum is exciting. And Annie, I understand with homes that are older or already built, how do you then like change it all out? I, I get it. 
I think one of the things around why, and, and this is just, you, you feel hopeful about it. I feel a little more cynical as to why there's more awareness. It's because of the wildfires. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's forced us into a consciousness about what we're breathing in because a lot of our, our guidance about during wildfire season is to, mm-hmm. if you have a gas stove, is to not use it. And, you know, last year in San Francisco, we had a month of poor air quality days where, you know, if you follow the public health guideline to a T, you shouldn't, you shouldn't cook it all in your home, which is kind of crazy um, for, for a household to, to be expected to go that long. But, but that's the option you're stuck with when you have poor air quality on the outside and then you're generating, you know, pollution on the inside um, from a process that we need to survive, which is to eat, right? Um, and so I think by, because California is really on the front lines of this very rapidly evolving climate crisis, we've been forced into a consciousness on this issue that, and, and, and you know, and, and to take the hope that you have, if we can kind of set that cultural norm here to say, hey, induction is great, and kind of change that narrative because we've been forced to uh, by our environmental conditions, maybe we can, can change the ethos in the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Lisa, kind of elaborating on a point you made earlier that, you know, when you're educating your um, patients about the correlation between their children's health and what's in their homes, what have you found to be really effective in in kind of getting to that aha moment and helping people um, perhaps make different choices going forward and create healthier homes? Yeah, so, you know, I do very, because asthma is multifactorial, um, we, we really do a comprehensive assessment where we'll talk about things like pests or mold, and, and I take care of a, of a population that is primarily on Medi-Cal, um, so tend to live, tend to rent, tend to live in lower income housing. Um, my population is not one that can purchase a home in the Bay Area, for example. So it's a very different conversation um, around mitigation, um, frankly, uh, of, of what potential things exist in the home that could be a problem with gas dose being one of them. Um, and so if I identify that in the household with a family, with a child where they are being admitted time and again with asthma, I'll, I'll talk about what that gas stove means. And I'll really I'll focus on things like ventilation um, as an option because we don't have a lot of great programs in place in California right now um, for renters to advocate for to be able to make the switch um, to their landlords um, or to make it more affordable for the, a lot of the families that I work with. Yeah. Sad, but true. Yeah. It's a lot of wealth disparity that are that's impacting a lot of issues in our country right now. Um, okay, I'm going to ask each of you this question. If you had a short wish list, you know, one to two things that you would give to a policymaker or a decision maker, somebody who could actually really uh, change the game, change the market, change the conditions that we're talking about, what would it be? And Annie, I'll start with you. Oh, man, I was going to copy everyone else. <laughs> um, I think for me in this valley with our bad air quality, um, I just want solar to be a bigger thing. I want there to be more incentives for solar on people's roofs. Like, I don't understand why. Well, I do understand, but I hate that there's such a big fight against that because I think that that's here where you kind of start and then you can start adding electric appliances as you go until you're just done with gas in general. So um, I think solar would just be at the top of my list, honestly, incentivizing driving electric cars, like just incentivizing those things where we live. It's the opposite of that, basically. It's a big fight and it makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. Rochelle, how about you? Yeah, um, you know, Annie, you had mentioned this. Um, 
one of the things that we do with people that moves the needle amazingly, whether you're a policymaker, stakeholder, real estate, is like, try it for yourself. Um, I did a hands-on pre-COVID. Um, I did a hands-on class with a bunch of people from Rocky Mountain Institute. And they were like, we've hardly ever done this. This is amazing. And they're like huge influencers and policymakers. And we had a blast. And they were like, oh, my gosh, we're telling people to do something that's actually really amazing. <laughs> so, you know, and then I got to do a chef stage event with Mayor London Breed. And literally five days after that, she was like, we're going to do this all the time. And then five days after that, the entire city shut down. Um but, you know, she was blown away. So, you know, if people can, like, I do, and, and not, I'm not the only one, but, like, webinars. I do webinars with people, and we secretly have these conversations. Like, I've never cooked on induction. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> so, you know, just getting, trying it yourself and getting your own stories, and it's really inspiring. And trust me, Lisa, I'm not hopeful on everything, but, you know, I'm hopeful on seeing the uptick of people self-selecting for this change. Um, and then the other thing is we have a live training center here. It's um, when I came to work here, I said, okay, but we got to put in live induction everywhere. And um, so any place that can be like a training center and, and we're doing, you know, uh, videos and, and content and, you know, give me those fancy influencers, get Padma up in here. Um, so, you know, there are some places popping up, like in Santa Rosa, California, there's um, an advanced energy center where you can go and learn about water heaters and there's all this induction around. So, you know, having these places where people can gather, talk about these things um, and, and create this content, like that's what I want to see. Great. Love that. And Lisa, how about you? Some of the work I'm doing is really thinking about some of our public buildings um, as we're thinking about where our dollars should go as we're doing new construction. So um, I'm doing some work thinking about schools, for example, um, right? thinking about the, the, um, uh, the, the folks that make food for our kids in the cafeteria and what they're being exposed to and what we're exposing our kids to um, when we shouldn't be making those investments. So really thinking about how we leverage our public dollars for public buildings where there might be children, for example, and making sure that there isn't natural gas um, in those environments. And, and I think we have the power to, to do that. Uh, we need to also just start by having some science-based indoor air quality guidelines, which in the U.S. we do not have. Um, places like Canada and the World Health Organization do. So we need to start there. You can't improve that which you are not measuring um, at all. And so we need to kind of start by setting some standards for ourselves. Um, and then, you know, I, I, it is deeply important to me as a pediatrician, equity is at the foundation and root of what I do. And so as we are making these transitions, we have to be thoughtful um, about subsidies for families that might get left behind in the switch to natural gas um, or, and really thinking about how we coordinate on a regional basis to make these switches off natural gas so we don't leave certain populations behind saddled with a higher energy bill. Great. Excellent list. Uh, well, I'll add just a couple to the mix. I have a long list for policymakers, as you might imagine. <laughs> we don't have time for that. That's an entire episode. Um, I think for me on the topic of stoves, uh, you know, a consumer safety 
um, warning label or guidance uh, would likely go a long way in helping to educate people at the point of purchase. Um, you know, there's very little, if any, awareness at the at the point of purchase, and um, having something that comes from a, a re respected science based regulatory agency uh, could go a long way. Um, absolutely concur with your recommendation to have science based indoor air quality uh, standards. That's um, you know, first step in, in getting to a lot of other issues. And, uh, you know, the last one I think would be, uh, let's take a closer look at all of the appliances we have in our homes and increase the standards that uh, we apply currently to, to appliances. They haven't been really updated in a long time. We're well behind the rest of the world, frankly. And, uh, you know, it's high time for us to to start um, applying some, some greater rigor with respect to our appliance standards. So we are rounding out our time here. Um, I could chat with you ladies for much longer. This is a super fun conversation. Um, but the final question I'll ask for each of you is your your last uh, advice or, or the advice you'd give to people that are wanting to transition their homes and uh, get off of gas and move in a, in a cleaner, healthier, and, and more electric direction. Rochelle, I'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, just kind of what we reiterated before is see where you can try some stuff. And that's a little bit difficult. Um, it's it, there's so many adjustments to it when people are just trying to switch out, say, a cooktop alone. One 30 inch cooktop does not does not always fit in the same cutout as another 30 inch cooktop. So it is hard to sort of find those solutions. There's a remarkable resource. Um, I have some people that have really become kind of my best friends, but I've never met them yet in real life. But um, I just jam on LinkedIn all the time with um, Yale Appliance. They are out of a three, three unit uh, store location out of Boston area. And they have to die for content. It's amazing. So you can look up different types of induction cooktops and what's better and no one can touch them. They're, they're better than consumer reports. And they have a guide called the induction buying guide. And it literally walks you through every little aspect of how to choose and install induction. And it's amazing. But the real challenge right now is that the, um, like at many other places, the um, appliance world has been absolutely decimated by um, COVID, you know, shortages. So to get anything is, you know, six month wait on dishwashers. So it's a really challenging time because we're asking for, more, you know, we're we're selling induction right and left here, but it's already hard to get number one. And the industry wasn't prepared for the uptick that they're seeing in induction sales, number two. So yeah, it's a tricky time. But that induction buying guide is knockout. And uh, you'll find that you'll probably spend a lot of time on their website because their blogs and posts are remarkable. So that's great. great. And we'll, we'll include a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, Annie, how about you? Um, I actually love how you have done it. And it's been sort of an inspiring thing to me, too, because um, I I have a good friend who has solar on her house and, you know, all the electric things, and she has an induction stovetop. And I think they're a little tricky to get started using. I'm not a huge cook. And when I've house sat for her, I've had a hard time with it. And I thought the other day, maybe I'll get a little uh, 
one to put on my counter like Sarah has just to kind of, you know, use my gas range a little bit less and use that for kind of everyday easy cooking and stuff. And I, I sort of think that's a nice like beginner step to just kind of transitioning over um, in a really inexpensive way. Because uh, it is hard to say, okay, yeah, I'm totally going to do this. And it's okay, it's going to be $8,000 for an induction range or um, it's intimidating. So I like that. Um, I put solar on my house last year as my kind of first step. It's not mm-hmm. cheap, but it felt like the right place to start for me. Um, and yeah, just baby steps, I guess, to get there. Absolutely. And Lisa, how about you? Final advice. Oh, well, first I'll say, uh, Rochelle, I'm bringing my mom to you because I can't convince my mom to, <laughs> my, mo- right, my mom does like four hours of Gujarati cooking. It takes forever. She's very tied to her gas stove, um, but I'm sure you're the one. That's I have a lot her. of experience. <laughs> I, I, I can cook with, I've learned to cook with a lot of grandmas and we can make some beautifully blistered naan. <laughs> yes, this, this gives me, you've given me a lot of hope today. So I appreciate that. Uh, in terms of my advice, um, I would say if you have the financial means, make the switch, um, particularly if you have young children in the home, uh, the evidence to me is compelling enough to, to make that investment and make the switch um, from a gas stove to an induction, um, induction cooktop. Um, and then for, for those that don't have the means, I um, really think about other means of, of keeping um, kids safe um, in an environment where we are generating indoor air pollution when we use a gas-powered stove. So looking at options for ventilation. Can I just add one, Sarah? Go ahead. Um, a friend of mine and Sarah's uh, bought a air quality um, measurement tool, Purple Air, I think, for her home to look at our just general air quality. And what she noticed is that it went up to like red and black when she cooked because she had it in her house. And I think that she had never even thought about it. And so their first step was to add um, a range hood above the range to mitigate that. And then she could monitor it from there. So maybe just convincing people to get um, a device like that so that they can see in real time how bad the air quality in their home is um, to scare them into doing the right thing. <laughs> Knowledge is power, as they say. I have one of those as well. And yeah, it's. Um, I try not to obsess about it too much because it, it does become a little bit of a compulsion. Um, well, <laughs> thank you all so much for being with me today. It's truly a pleasure to speak with each of you. You, you bring such a, a diverse perspective to this topic and uh, really value and appreciate all the work you're doing in your in your fields. Um, so thanks. I'll, I'm going to wrap up and, and say goodbye to each of you, but uh, it is not for long. I'm sure we'll connect again. Thanks, Sarah. Thank, thank you, you so much for the opportunity. Come cook with me anytime, you guys. All right. I'm in San Francisco. I'm actually looking to look you up. <laughs> Invite accepted. <laughs> yes. come to your store. <laughs> because we've been we've been talking. My husband's supposed to be on us switching to an induction stove. Um, this is he's been on this since last fall and we've gotten nowhere. <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> the time is nice. <laughs> awesome. It was so lovely to meet you all. Awesome. Likewise. Thank you. Electrify This is an Energy Innovation original podcast, and Energy Innovation is a nonpartisan energy and climate policy think tank. We provide customized research and policy analysis to decision makers to support policy design that reduces emissions for a climate-safe future. You can find more information about Energy Innovation and the podcast at energyinnovation.org forward slash electrify this. Please continue to subscribe, follow, give us
leave us a review and tag us on social, hashtag electrify this. And as always, a huge thanks to our sound engineer, Rowan Stigner, and the audio in in Salt Lake City. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to electrify this. Thank you.